we just want to see if we can add a tiny bit of value to you guys today. Um, it, it just feels so good being in church together here at Q8. And I just want to applaud you for everything that you're doing. Um, you know, Joel talked about our season. We've been out of Hillsong now for four years and with Convoy of Hope, and it's been such a breath of fresh air uh, to be still working with churches and through churches and all over the world. Convoy is a global organization, a global charity, an NGO, non-government organization. Um, we're faith-based, and we're operating in about 17 different nations with program activity. So Joel talked about the disaster response and relief. Um, one of the things, there's not a lot of detail in here, but Convoy of Hope in here um, you guys, this year, you gave towards the war efforts and the relief in the Ukraine, remember? You guys gave to that. Well, can I just tell you, that plus other partners around the world, other churches that have given, we are already over 22 million meals served to several nations that have been affected by the war in the Ukraine. People that are fleeing and hanging on the border, towns and countries. And So thank you. Thank you for what you've given and thank you for how you've helped. And... It's stunning. And just reading through the Curate Cares magazine and everything that's happening, it is really precious to see what you're doing. And there's a lot more to do, isn't there? And that's not even half of what has been going on, what's been told. So thank you. Um, some of the other things that we do, like Joel said, we do um, children's feeding initiatives and women's empowerment programs, helping women start small businesses to get out of poverty, uh, teaching farmers to work the, the land so that they can feed their families and others. But I just thought I'd show you a, a, little, a short little clip, it's something that we've been just doing recently in Indonesia, and that's helping villages tap down and get water, because, I mean, I just had a sip of water, and if I don't finish that, someone's going to throw it out because I started drinking it. And I'm thinking, we throw out water all the time. Imagine never having access to it. Have a look at this on the screens. Yeah, uh, from the from the well, from the well that we dig together with the villagers, uh, we pump it with a solar powered uh, pump to five tanks. So we distribute into five tanks. Another example of vegetable gardens because of water. This has all happened in the last four months. Papaya, cassava, chili, Cancun, tomatoes. Beautiful. So nice. Yeah. It's fun, hey? So we had one business person uh, make a donation and we're able to do that village. We've got another three that have already come in through more villages. We, our goal is 100 villages in just some of these islands in Indonesia. We want to transform the place. And I just cannot... I'm so overwhelmed with what happens when you give fresh water to people. And that's 100 years old, that village, and they've never had running water. They've never been able to grow their own vegetables, never been able to grow flowers. And now they can. It's all happened this year. So it's pretty special. It's pretty cool.
Okay, I'm going to I want to get into it because it's with a lot that's been happening already, and um, we, we want to get through this. But I want to I want to talk into the season of our you know the season that we find ourselves in right now as a church, and where we're at with the Curate Cares highlight and what we're doing this 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 whole month, and also hope is here. It's Christmas, Jesus, everything about that, and I want to talk to us about clinging to Jesus. Um, it's an expression of faith, and it's w- w- what it's all kind of meant to be about. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. I'll put some scriptures up on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible on you. Although if you've got a phone, you've got a Bible. There's some brilliant Bible apps uh, available. 1 Timothy 1, 19 says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences and as a result have shipwrecked their faith. Cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to it. What does that mean, faith in Christ? What is faith in Christ? Cling to your faith. I've got faith. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. What do those things mean? I mean, is this the, is this the total summation? Is this the highlight of our Christian journey? A Sunday service? Is this the pinnacle of faith? Is this the only expression of faith, just being at church? And if you miss church, does that mean you miss faith? Surely faith is a lot more than just a Sunday service. How precious it is that we gather together, but there's something more, isn't there? There's something deeper. Jesus says it this way, John 15, 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Remain in me, hide yourself in me, cling to me, which is more than a Sunday service. We can cling to him at any moment of the day, in any part of the day, no matter what part of the week, wherever we find ourselves, we can cling to him. This is where we gather together to encourage one another and see what God has been doing all week, every other day. Every day is important, not just Sunday. There's an ancient Hebrew expression called divakut, D-E-V-E-K-U-T, but it's pronounced divakut. And divakut means to cling to. It's to cling to God. It's to cling to Him. Bind yourself to Him. Hold on to Him. Not let Him go. Imagine in every situation of our lives, divakut, if we could cling to Him. What does it mean to cling to Him? What is the expression of faith in Jesus? What does it mean to live this full life. Part of divakut means to have this full expression of life, not just a Sunday Christianity, but a full expression of life in Jesus. It's to become more aware of God's presence in both the positive and negative aspects of our lives. Not just God is good when life is good, but God is good when life is tough. Become aware of His presence, to be so knowing that He's so available and in and around us. So I want to talk about four things. If we can put this up on the screen. Divakut, the journey of faith to make sure that it's not just a belief that we have, but the four aspects that the ancients talk about to really describe what it means to have this Christian life. And it's pray, study, love the poor. These four things. Let's start with the first one, pray. What does it mean to pray? Number one, prayer Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Is, it, is there anybody that is a little susceptible to worry? Anyone like worry a little bit more than they should? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That means we've got lots of opportunities to pray, right? You pray all the time if you worry all the time. I, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm getting a little bit older and sometimes I've got to get run to the little boy's room. And I, I try to do it as fast as I can with my eyes closed 
Because if I'm too awake and I'm awake in bed, now I start to think about things I shouldn't be thinking about. Now I'm worrying and now I'm up all night. And I find the easiest way to get back to sleep when I'm worried is to pray. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Pentecostals do. I've got a typo here. Uh, Sorry, as the Gentiles do. Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by running up and down the stage, getting louder, flapping their arms up and down. Don't we? Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Here's the question I want to ask. How do you not worry about anything, but pray about everything, but don't use too many words? Don't go on and on and blab and think that if you get louder, God's going to hear you. It's so intimidating when you're around people that pray really eloquent and beautiful prayers. You ever sat in a circle and people are praying and it's going around, it's coming to you and I'm starting to sweat and I'm freaking out and I'm all worried. And I'm just, I'm so worried about what I'm going to pray about because everyone has prayed everything that's happened in the world so far. They've started at Genesis and by the time they got around to me, I'm like, there's nothing left to pray about. It's so intimidating praying with really mature people that know exactly how to pray so eloquently. How do you pray about everything and not worry about anything, but do it in a way that is not too many words? Well, if we understood what prayer meant, like the the Hebrew word prayer, prayer is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, where it says that the, the, the people of God, when they first called upon the name of the Lord, that word called is tefillah. To fill it, to fill it. When, when, when the Hebrew language was written, remember they were in captives, they were in uh, Egypt. So when they came out of Egypt, their language was in hieroglyphics. It was in little picture form because they were captives in Egypt. And so the, the Hebrew language, when it comes together, the, the word to fill is three picture words. And the three picture words are the front of a head, the back of a head, and the head of an ox, an animal ox, that's going into a wooden yoke. It's the front of a head, the back of a head, and an ox going into a yoke. That's the word tefillah in, in, in Hebrew. Those three picture words. Front of a head, back of a head, an ox going into a yoke. Bearing the burden of a yoke. So prayer to the ancient Hebrew was whenever you turn your head to face the one who can bear your burdens. That's prayer. But in Pentecostal churches, it's become a whole lot more... <laughs> It's about how loud we go and whether we can pray in tongues or not. And it's just become so much more. But profoundly, simply, prayer is any moment of your day in your life where you just turn your head and face the one, Jesus, who bears your burdens. You can do that anywhere, anytime, at any moment in your life. Prayer is to turn your head and face the one who carries your burdens. So we thought it would be a really great moment right now for us to take communion. We're doing this today. Anyway, but I thought right now, as we talk about prayer, because it's really about becoming fully aware of God's presence, that God is here and that he's near and that he's here and near now. There's nothing you have to do. There's no better you have to be. There's nothing you have to fix or anything. God is here. He loves you. He's near to you. 
and He wants to be with you. And no matter what part of the faith journey you're on, if you're far from God or you're really close to God, you just need to know that God is so loving that He wants to be near you and with you. And so I would invite you as we take this bread and we drink this cup, that we remember what Jesus has done for us by bringing God closer. He's always been close, but now we know. Now we know that He's close. He's not angry with us. He loves us. That's what Jesus revealed to us. So we're going to ask you, wherever you are, just to stand up. I think we all know what to do with communion. If you're visiting with us and you're not sure, just allow someone else to move first and follow them. But we have some stations around the building, upstairs and downstairs. They're in Auckland as well. And we're just going to invite you. Just go and take a piece of bread and this cup. You may want to stand over there. You may want to come back to your seat. You may want to have your own little moment. You might want to hold hands with family members. But I'm going to invite you right now just to walk over and get that bread and that cup and then come back. In your own time, take that moment. God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that no matter what our situation, we can just turn our head and face you because you carry our burdens. We pray today by becoming aware of you, by understanding that you are here. We love you, Jesus. You can eat and drink in your own time. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you sacrificed your life. You gave up. You gave up your life for us. You showed us in every different circumstance while you were here how to love, how to serve, how to forgive, how to make right with people. You showed us how to not be angry, how to not take revenge. Jesus, you showed us so many life examples while you were here. Ultimately, it ended with your body being crucified, but you willingly died for us that we might be brought together. We're so inspired by the cross. We're so inspired by what you did, Jesus. May the breaking of your body be the building of ours. May the breaking and the separation of your life, may it be us coming back together. We drink this drink, God. We're so grateful that as your life was taken from you, your blood was shed. It was to show how powerful your love is for us, that you forgive us. Before we even come back to you, you've forgiven us. While we were still sinners, you died for us. How great is your love, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Amen. So you can keep doing that. But we're talking about these four aspects of faith, right? We're talking about prayer, which is really just to turn your head and face the one who carries your burdens. And you can pray loud, you can pray long, you can pray as much as you want. But I just want to encourage you and add another component to that, that before it's being loud and long, it's first turning and facing the one that carries your burdens. Become aware of him. Don't be so lost in the words of your prayer that you're not even aware that he's here.
be aware first. Just to study, study God's words. This is part of faith. We don't just pray, we study. We let God's words shape us, come into us. It says in Joshua 1.8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all that you do. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. It's not just about reading Scripture, it's about letting Scripture read us. If you're ever reading the Bible, ever reading the Scriptures, and something jumps out in your heart and you're like, oh, I'm not kind of living that way yet, take note of that because that's a progress area. It's an area that God is trying to shape in us. We don't just read the Bible and tick off our daily devotion. We let the Bible read us and shape us. I've been so guilty of reading through my daily devotion. I do it in new version. And I do a couple of different plans. One of them is the Bible in a year. I've been doing it for a long time. And I, if I have a busy day or I've read something else and I didn't get through my little tick offs on that particular day, I'm so guilty of thinking, I've just got to tick it off. I've just got to tick it off. Or I'm reading something and I'm getting so inspired by what I'm reading, I go deeper into it and I forget to finish the rest of my devotion. Next day, I've lost my streak because I didn't finish the devotion. (laughs) It's not just about ticking things off, is it? It's about letting it come in and shaping us. John 15 verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. If you remain in me and my word, see that word, it's plural S. So I looked it up in my concordance because I'm thinking that jumped out at me, my words. Jesus is saying, if, you, if my words, if my words, I'm thinking, what's he talking about my words? And I looked it up and there's two words for the word word in Greek. One is logos, one is rima. Logos is what is written down. It's what you open the Bible and you read, that's written. Rima is when he speaks it. So Jesus spoke things, he rema, and the disciples wrote it down into Logos. So we read Logos and we're reading the Logos of his rema. This is what's really important, that hope is here. (laughs) That my words would remain in you, which is really his spoken understanding, the way Jesus understands the law, the way Jesus interprets it. Jesus was a rabbi. There weren't many rabbis as you read through the Bible in the New Testament. There was a few. Gamaliel was. He was, he was a, a, a rabbi. Paul was a rabbi. Um, Jesus was a rabbi. And he had special authority. Often people would remark, would remark about how much authority Jesus had. And they were, they were always in amazement that Jesus had so much authority, which is called samika in Hebrew. And that samika means you, could have, you have the ability or the authority to interpret the law. And then everyone after you follows your interpretation. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't just read the words. Follow how I read the words. Follow my interpretation of the words. Because you can read the Bible and have your own spin on it. There's a whole lot of people in America, white Christians who read the Bible in a certain way and they used the Bible as justification to treat black people as slaves. That was out of the Bible. It's not how Jesus intended it. So when we read the Bible, we read it with the way Jesus read it. And we read it with the way Jesus interprets it. That's what becomes important. There's this one time where these experts in the Bible, Bible experts come before Jesus with a woman caught in adultery, which the law says 
if a woman is caught in adultery, that she is to be stoned to death. They throw her down in front of the church gathering, in front of the crowd, and they say to Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus frees her. He's able to use the power of the law to set her free. Because actually the law doesn't just say the woman should be stoned. It says that the man and the woman should be stoned. They didn't worry about the man because in that day, women and children were nothing. And so the men could get away with whatever they wanted to do. But Jesus is able to say, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. And so one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they all drop their stones and walk away. Jesus finally gets down with her and says, dear woman, where are all your accusers? And she says, they are all gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know what's powerful about the law? The law says that you can only stone somebody to death on two or more witnesses. So Jesus doesn't do away with the law that says stone a woman caught in adultery. He does away with all the accusers by saying, if you're perfect, you can throw the first stone. Now there are no accusers left. No one's allowed to throw a stone because you need two witnesses. See how crafty, how, how, how wise Jesus is to be able to remove all of the accusers and set the woman free. Because it's not just about reading the Bible. You can read it, you can find a scripture and you can judge people, accuse people. You can have all kinds of bad theology. It's about interpreting it the way Jesus would interpret it. In fact, I'd say it this way. You can get the Bible right and Jesus wrong. We never want to do that, do we? So it's about prayer. We turn our head and face the one who carries our burdens. It's about study and not just reading the Bible to find a scripture that supports your own theory, but reading it the way Jesus reads it, interpreting it the way Jesus interprets it so that we can use it, number three, with love. We are to love. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, this great story. One day, an expert in religious law, you don't want to be an expert around Jesus, An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He wants eternal life. There's a desire for it. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Before we go on for the rest of the story, Jesus said, if you love God and you love people, you'll have eternal life. That's what he said. How do I get eternal life? Well, what does the law say? How do you interpret it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. That's right. It's exactly right. You do that and you'll live forever. It's that simple. Ah, but we want to add all these little bylaws and other laws and all these rules and expectations and all these things that we have to do to get around that. And so to justify himself, he says, well, who is my neighbour? And so Jesus tells a story and says, a Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, still in the religious circle, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine actually being like a church worker, a pastor in a church, and you walk over to see the person that's all a mess on the road. Uh Uh-huh, yep, bleeding, he's a mess. Cross by on the other side of the road. 
Imagine if you were down Monganui Street, like down, down, downtown in the Mount, and you saw that. Imagine, like you saw me do that. Yep, he's in real bad shape. And I crossed over the other side. You'd be like, <laughs> what? You say you love God, but you can't even help someone who really needs help? It keeps going on. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him and going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and, then, and with wine and bandaged him. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper some money and said, take care of this man. And if the bill runs higher, I'll come back and I'll pay you the rest. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the expert, the expert replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, that's right, go and do the same. Interesting story here. What we might not know as Kiwis and Aussies is that if you, back in those days, if you were a priest or a Levite, a temple assistant, and you touched someone who was bleeding, you'd be unclean, which meant that you were unfit for duty, which meant that you were on your way to the temple, but now you're not allowed in the temple because you touched someone who's bleeding. You're unclean. You've actually got to wash yourself and you've got to wait at least 24 hours, sometimes up to seven days, depending on what it was that you got involved in before you could go back to the temple. So these guys work at the temple and they can't get to the temple if they touch someone. So in many ways, we can look at that from our perspective and think, oh, they're horrible, angry. They're just self-righteous. They're only about themselves. No, no, they're not. They're probably great people, great priests and Levites and temple assistants, but we don't understand the law. The law says if you touch someone that's bleeding, you can't go do your work. So they probably wanted to, but the law forbid them. Does that make sense? So Jesus wasn't having a go at them. It was far more profound than that. He was saying, you think that you can't do good to people because of some laws. I'm saying love trumps all laws. It's not about just what the rules are, what the laws are, what the laws of the land are. Sometimes you can get everything right by the law and miss the whole point, which was love. Jesus is actually saying, as God, I would have been okay for you to break a lesser law of touching a body that had blood on it because in doing that, you proved the greater law of love by serving one of your own human citizens. That's what it means to love people. That's what it means to serve. I mean, what is it? What is our prejudice that keeps us back? What, is it, what are the rules in our mind that keep us away from helping people? Because Jesus says those rules are good sometimes. But what he's saying is, it's okay to break those rules in your mind if it means that you are loving somebody. It's far better to love than to get some things right. It's far better to love and to serve and to free people from their misery than it is just to be right with our traditions and our practices. So let's have traditions. Let's create customs. Curate has a whole lot of ways of doing things different to other churches. And there's certain ways we do things that other churches don't do it that way. And that's okay. But we should never let those things that we do stop us from loving people. The moment, you know, you go to some churches and you, you've got to know when to stand up and sit down. It's a stand up, sit down feast. The whole service is stand up, sit down. And you can get it wrong. You could easily get it wrong. You could stand at the wrong moment and everyone's seated. You're like, oh. There's traditions and customs. But don't let those be the things that stop us from truly loving people 
and serving people and helping people. We put that into our context and we get love right. We can afford to break a whole lot of traditions. And here's the last one. Give to the poor. So we've got this whole thing about clinging to Jesus. It's not just about believe. I don't just believe in God. What does it mean to believe in God, to have faith in God? To have faith in God means to pray. It means I turn my head and I face the one who carries my burden. It means to study and interpret the Bible the way Jesus studies and interprets it. It means to love your neighbour and not let any customs or traditions stop you. And it also means to give to the poor. That's part of faith. In fact, Jesus says many times that you, you, you can't, and James says it quite clearly, chapter one, chapter three and three, you cannot profess to have faith in Christ and ignore the need of those around you. Let's read some of these. Proverbs chapter three, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbour now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. You know, unchurched people, which just is a name for people who don't go to church yet, Unchurched people have really great questions. They ask questions like, if God is so good and loving, why are there so much pain in the world? Why are so many people in hunger? We're focusing as an organisation, Convoy of Hope, we're focusing in the next 10 years on the Horn of Africa because in those nations down the east coast of Africa, they're suffering so much malnutrition, the hunger is intense. COVID has rewound the clock on global hunger by 20 years just COVID. We were making great strides around the world in defeating poverty and, and global hunger. COVID, two years of COVID has rewound the clock. So don't say come back tomorrow when it's in our power to do so today. Jesus tells this story. Like, wh wh Why is it that it's so easy to blame God for things that have happened? And Jesus tells a story about whose fault it really is. If God is so good and loving, why is there so much pain in the world? Why is there so much need? Jesus tells this story, I'll paraphrase it for you. He says there was a landowner that gave different amounts of money to three people. He gave five lots to one person and two lots to one person and one lot to another person. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. And after a long time, he comes back and he says to the one that had five, how did you go? And the person with five says, I did great. I invested it. I put it to work and I've got five more. Now I've got 10. Great. Well done. What about the person with two? I put mine to work and well done. Now I've got four. Great, well done. What about the one with one? What have, you done with, what have you done with what I've given you? And he says, I was afraid that I would lose it. So I dug a hole and I buried it. Here is what you gave me. And the story doesn't end well for that person. And Jesus is trying to tell a story that in this life, God has given each of us gifts and talents and abilities. And at the end of this life, what we're going to be asked is, what did, I, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you go? Some of you have got a lot more money than others. You've got different resources, a lot of time, energy, smiles. You've got all kinds of things, right? A lot of things that you've got. What did you do with what I gave you? And people who don't go to church and don't know God get confused by these things. And they say, if God is so loving, why is the world in such a tough spot? They think it's God's fault. But really what we're learning through this story is that there are a lot of people in the world that have dug a hole and buried their resources and they're not helping. They're not helping. We only need $300,000. And there's a lot of people in the world that have just dug a hole and buried their things and aren't helping. This is from Forbes magazine a couple of years ago. 
The richest 40 people in the world, you've come up to join me, you can play if you want, so just so that you're not sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> I don't want you to feel like weird, like being here. So if, if you want to play, go for it. Permission. Sorry, I just didn't want you to come up and go, am I meant to be up here? <laughs> it's all good, go for it. Um, the richest 40 people, I just threw them out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, poor guy. Sometimes they come up and you're like, am I meant to be up here? It's like, yeah, 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 it's all good. The richest 40 people in the world, the richest 40 people have $1.4 trillion. The richest 85 people in the world have more money than three and a half billion people on earth. The richest 1% have the same amount of money as three and a half billion people. The top 1% of the richest people in the world have $110 trillion. And the total GDP, gross domestic product, the total GDP of earth is only $85 trillion. And the richest 1% have $110 trillion. That says to me that there are people on earth that can fix the problems on earth. It's not God's fault. There's a bunch of people that have dug a hole and buried their money for themselves. And there's people that are dying of all kinds of needs, suffering with all kinds of things around the world. And it's not God's fault. It's our fault. We can fix our problems. Now, you may not have a billion dollars or a million dollars. Sometimes we do nothing because we can't do everything. We're paralysed by the need because we can't fix it all. But break it down. I can't do everything. We heard Joel say it. I can't do everything, but I must do something. Must do something. Just, just do something. You can't do everything in here. I mean, some of you might be able to fit the whole bill of 300,000. I couldn't, but I could do something. And we're going to do something. We'll do something for this. Because I can. I can't do it all, but I can do something. And so I'm just asking the question, what can you do? It's $10,000 to transform an entire village in Indonesia. I could do that. Oh, I could never do that. I could get together with my small group and do that. 50, what, $30, $50 did something like $30 does, $50 puts a, a, a whole bunch of clothes together for somebody. I can't do that. Well, you could with a couple of friends. I can't do everything, but I must do something. Faith in Jesus is to pray. It's to pray. It's to turn our face towards God's face because he wants to carry our burdens. It's to study and interpret scripture the way Jesus taught us to interpret it. It's to love people and not let our prejudice or our customs or traditions stop us. And it's to give to the poor. We've been presented with the need today. We can't do it all. Or I can't do it all. But maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do this. We can do something. God, we're so grateful for what you've done for us. More than we could ever have imagined, expect. I watched the faces of those getting baptised today, watching them... The joy, watching the tears, watching the, 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 just the gratefulness of what you've done in their lives, the forgiveness that flows, the joy that comes out. 
Lord, may we not get stuck in our routines and forget that day that you did that for us. May we always remember what you've done for us, how you've changed us. And Lord, inspire us. Would you just nudge us? Nudge us towards a need. Help us to know what you want us to do. Not to empty our bank accounts and sell our family homes, but just to do something. Together we can change this. We can fix this. And it's right that we do so. Lord, I pray for every person here and across the link in Auckland. Those that are returning to you, coming back to you. Those that are walking this journey with you. Lord, would you reveal your love to them? So often we stay back and away from you because we're just guilty and we're full of shame and we just don't know whether you're really going to love us. But you do. Help every person today to know when we say yes to you, that you said yes to us long before. Bless these people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.